we don't know how to disciple people. We we think as a culture, discipling happens when somebody sits in a pew on Sunday morning and listens to a sermon, but that's not discipleship. Welcome, everybody, to another episode of Unrefined, and we are in the house. Brandon's here. Yep, Lindsay. Here, too. Yeah, he's here. (laughs) And uh, we have a special guest today, something that's kind of different with our normal flow, but it definitely fits in with what we represent and what we do. I want to introduce uh, Doug Levy, and he is doing a lot of the same things that Lindsay and I and my wife are doing in the Mississippi Delta. And so I wanted to introduce Doug. Hey, Doug. Hey, guys. Thanks for having me on today. Yeah. We're We're glad to have you, man. Yeah, we are excited about this podcast. Um, So, Doug, we we met you through a a, a common friend, Kenny, who had interviewed you before, I think, when your book first came out, right? What did he interview you? Yeah. He did. He did. I went over to his basement and uh, (laughs) we did a a video (laughs) podcast. Video podcast there. I guess I should say his studio. That's mm-hmm. really what it is. Uh, both musical and uh, yeah. podcast studio. Um, yeah, I've known Kenny for a long time. Wow. So, so yeah, well, let's, I mean, is right. How long have you known Kenny for like? I knew Kenny uh, going back to the early 90s. Uh, we were oh, both wow. in bands and that's a part of my story. Oh, um, yeah, yeah, in, yeah. In the same area where I grew up and Kenny grew up. And, uh, and so we did some shows together. And he was already friends with a few of my band members. Um, and so we just got to, you know, become friends through that avenue um, and then reconnected, you know, all these years later through the through the wondrous ministry of Facebook. And then I, I realized because at the time I met Kenny, he was not a believer um, or at least not following the Lord. Um, you know, yeah. so it's, it's interesting to see things come full circle for him to be, you know, have his own ministry now and see how excited he is about Jesus and the yeah. things of God. And so, um, so I just told him, Hey, you know, this was back when I was still in Los Angeles living there. I said, Hey, I'm going to be in town, you know, and he's like, I want to interview you for your book. And so we, we reconnected face to face and it's, it's been a good reconnection and, and we're, uh, we're planning some stuff. So. Uh, I'll leave that as as cryptic as it can be, but uh, we're going to do some musical stuff together, so I'm excited about that. Oh, yeah, that is great. Do you play guitar, too? I am not a musician, per se. I I was a lead singer of a a Christian heavy metal band, Um, and that's how I came into the kingdom. Can we ask what the name of your band was, Doug? The band's called Overdrive, and everybody thinks they've heard of us, but they really haven't, but um, <laughs> it's just that common generic name, right? Probably they're thinking of Bachman Turner Overdrive, but, um, but yeah, so, uh, we, we were here in, in Southwest Virginia, which is where I am currently. Um, and, uh, we, you know, made it out to LA to do a showcase for a Christian record label out there. Um, almost got signed, didn't quite happen. Um, but, uh, you know, we put out a couple demos and, uh, hopefully in the near future, we're actually going to do a re-recording of some of our old stuff and uh, mm. get it get it distributed out there. So, yeah. All right. Well, let's get started with this. You've written a book. It's called "Are We Doing Church Wrong? Rediscovering God's Divine Design for His Church." Yeah, yeah, yes. I'm in, I'm in my Kindle right now, and I'm at a place I want to talk <laughs> to you about. Um, yeah. So, 
uh, like, give us a, some background about your journey. Because, I mean, SoCal, you're in a band. I mean, that, that intrigues me right there, man. I'm a big, I'm actually doing a deep dive in Laurel Canyon right now, man. And I, I love, so, I mean, SoCal is, is one of those places that's like, you love it and you hate it all at the same time. You know, it's like, it's got, it's so cool. And it's got great things, but then it's like way out there. And, and yep, <laughs> great place and, to visit, bad place yeah. to live. <laughs> yeah, it's yeah. it's definitely a mixed bag. That is for sure. Yeah. Um, so a little bit of my history is I, I grew up in Southwest Virginia. I grew up in the Methodist Church. Was here every Sunday, but I was also out partying every Friday and Saturday because that's how the Bible Belt works. Yep. Um, a lot of times, especially for teenagers. Yeah. Um, Got saved at the age of 17 by being invited to become the lead singer of a Christian band. I wasn't even a believer yet. Wow. Um, mm. Yeah, my uh, childhood friend was a drummer here at my uh, um, childhood church. Uh, he he was he formed a band, and they were looking for a lead singer. And my, my best friend, who had just gotten saved, like legitimately saved, uh, said, you should go try out for Bobby's band. And I said, okay, cool. And literally in my mind, I was thinking this will be a great way to pick up chicks. Um, <laughs> so I, I step in as a lead singer. And the lead uh, singers, lead singers always get the chicks too. <laughs> well, that was my, that was my, uh, my thought process. Uh, so, so I step in, I start singing Christian songs. I even start writing Christian songs, but I'm still not a believer yet. But God was working on me. And so I went to a Petra concert, December of 1986. They gave an altar call. And I really just came to that fork in the road where I just said, I either need to be all the way in or I need to get out. I can't, mm -hmm. you know, I can't have a foot in both worlds. So, um, so I responded to the altar call, gave my life to the Lord. We did the band thing for about six, seven years, um, culminating with a trip out to LA to, to do a showcase for a Christian record label out there. Um, and then, uh, you know, met my wife in the process through a mutual friend who had moved from the East Coast to, to Los Angeles to also to try and make it in the music scene. Um, so we didn't get signed. We didn't understand how the music industry worked. And, and, and so a couple of my band members got cold feet. They didn't, we were planning on moving to L.A. Um, it didn't happen, but I ended up getting married as a result, uh, moving my wife back to the East Coast. For a couple of years, um, we were in full-time ministry. We did campus ministry. I helped a, who's one of my spiritual dads here. Um, he uh, started a campus ministry at Radford University in Virginia Tech. We helped him to plant those campus ministries. We did a year-long internship under him. Then we took over the one at Radford University. And uh, my wife and I did that for a while, but she got homesick. So after about six, seven years, she said, I want to go back to the beach, you know, I can't live in these mountains anymore. And I said, all right, I'm ready for a change. The Lord prepared me for that. But he, I, I, he didn't prepare me enough <laughs> to, live in Los, to live in Los Angeles. So we get out there in 1998. We were there for almost 25 years. Um, and L.A. is it is a mixed bag. There's some great things about Los Angeles, things that I'll miss to this day. There are even some great people and great ministries there. They've got a history of revival. Yeah. Um, that's, that's, you know, I could talk about some of that. I mean, it's, it's pretty insane if you really get down to the roots of certain things like the fact, and I'll leave this here, but like the fact that Hollywood actually has Christian origins, really? nobody knows about. Oh yeah. Oh, wow. it founded as a Christian community. Um, 
See, that's so, con- contrary to what I've heard, Doug. I mean, we've always yes. heard Hollywood. Yep. It was named Holly after the occult, you know. Anyway, yeah, that's fascinating. I, I really yeah. want to hear hear more about that. Yep. Yeah, but, but there's also, you got the, the West Coast, everything, very liberal, very, you know, yeah. um, yeah. you know, everything that comes with that. And we ended up moving back, not as a primary reason, but it was definitely a contributing factor, crime and homelessness and just the unwillingness of, of governing bodies to do anything about it. Uh, yeah. A month after we moved back, our back house neighbor got carjacked right out in front of the place where we lived. Mm-hmm. And we're not, in a ba- we weren't in a bad neighborhood, but that's how bad it's gotten. Were you West so, of the five, West of the five? That's what I heard. Everybody, everybody. Yep. Yeah. West of the five. Yeah. Yep. I heard that expression yeah. before. And uh, yeah, it was, uh, you know, so it was, we, like I said, we had some great ministry experiences and church experiences while we were there. Uh, saw God move in, in a lot of ways. Um, but we we felt like it was time to come back east. And so this last year in January, we packed up, we moved back. In that process, and while I was going through a couple of different uh, church situations that the Lord had us in, I kind of realized, actually, going back to even our time, you know, when I first got saved, I just had, we had, not I won't say super negative, but we had these challenging church situations. And some of them were, I guess, negative. Um, you know, and I kept just asking the Lord, we'd ask the Lord, my wife and I would say, are you ever going to put us in a healthy church? Mm. And the Lord's response was, pay attention. I'm teaching you what not to do. Mm. A lot of times we learn our best lessons from negative experiences. Mm. Um, not that God, you know, was the author of them, um, but he allows us to go through some things so that we, we can learn and we can grow. Um, so we realized, all right, God is, you know, there's something God's trying to show us here. And um, as that was kind of unpacking, the Lord was revealing some things in the scriptures to me in relationship to how he sees church and how he designed church and defined church. And I kept saying, man, what we're doing today doesn't look anything like, you know, what we see in the scriptures when we read through the early church in the book of Mm -hmm. Acts and you know, so I kept kind of coming back to that, and the Lord just slowly began giving me the material for this this now first published book, and uh, and I just I I started teaching it as a Bible study series, and then I realized this probably would make a good book. I should probably do something with it. Um, so that's how it was born. Yep. Yeah, it's it's a, it's a great book. We we uh, breezed through it. It was a really fast read. That's what was so cool about it. You know, it was so yeah interesting. Lindsay and I both said, man, that was a fast read. Um, yeah, I, I felt like the Lord said, don't overteach. And I'm a teacher. <laughs> <laughs> so that's one of my Achilles heels is I want everybody to know everything about whatever revelation the Lord has given me. And I, and I go deep. I deep dive. I was raised by, uh, my, again, my spiritual dad, Rick Sizemore, who's written some phenomenal books. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, he, he, he would just want to go scripture after scripture after scripture. So that was kind of my normal approach to teaching. Um, and the Lord just said, give them one really good nugget in every chapter that they can mm, grab yeah. a hold of and they could process and do something with, as opposed to just a ton of really good revelation that people don't know what they're supposed to do with it. So, Yeah, Sandy's on me all the time. I, when we begin to train somebody for to do the discipleship stuff, I— I'm like a water hose. I want to give them all of it at one in time. And, and Sandy's like, no, you need to teach them 
the the biblical way. You need to teach them by just modeling it for them. Yep. And, and and so she is, you know, really pulled me more than Lindsay, but both of us back to even though we both love to teach, both back to uh let's model it out and then we can teach as we model. And it's just yes, so sir. hard. It's so hard. You wanna you want them to be as excited about what you know what's going on as you are. So you want to give them all Absolutely. of it. Absolutely. <laughs> yep, yep. Yes. So uh tell us a little bit, a synopsis a little bit about this book. I love how you paired uh the the different types of or or not aspects. I don't know what would be the word that you would use for like family, bride, body, like um not offices. Just major but- yeah, major foundational identities. That's how yeah. I refer to them. That's, yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. foundational identities with the purpose, you know, that, that went along with it. And uh, yeah, uh, so go into that a little bit with us, if you would. Sure. Overall, it was, you know, it was kind of like us being able to, or having somebody be able to back up from their paradigm, from the culture, church culture that they've been raised in, and look at church with a new lens. Right. And, and the lens being the scriptural lens. Right. Not not right. our church culture, because I, I, I talk about how if you were to ask, you know, a random number of believers, how do you define church or what is church to you? You would typically get three responses. Um, and, and as a culture, this is kind of how we've morphed into, you know, our, our modern church uh, existence, which is it's a it's a place. It's a building. Mm-hmm. Um, it's an event, event or a service, or it's an organization that people belong to, right? And even yeah. outside the church, if you were to ask you, that's probably what the type of descriptions or adjectives or identities that people would would place on the church. Mm-hmm. But in my searching through the scriptures, the church is not described in any of those three ways, right? We do them usually probably in a combination of the three, right? Say so I either go to church, um, I attend a church service or I belong to a church. Right. Right. Um, but again, those aren't something that that's not something you would find in the scriptures. So I began to search out the scriptures and say, well, what are the identities of the church and scriptures? What are the major ways that God defines and describes and de- has designed the church to function? And so I found these five foundational identities, the family, the bride, the body, the temple, and the army as the major ways that the church gets described throughout the scriptures, particularly in the New Testament. Mm-hmm. And then I began to see that, in, in my viewpoint, these identities are progressive in nature, that it's, it's not just cherry-picking, because I see that a lot of people, by default, end up functioning as a, a body, right? They'll say, oh, yeah, let's look at 1 Corinthians 12 and 1 Corinthians 14, and you know, find out what part of the body you are, what which member you are, the eye, the hand, or the foot, the mouth, yeah. right? Um, and, and then and they try to f- function that way, but they've skipped over being the family and they've skipped over being the bride, which I think are foundational identities. Mm. Yeah. Um, and and or they want to shoot right for the top, and I'll let you get a lot of churches very, you know, full straight of for the army. Straight for yep. the army. Let's go do warfare. Let's yep. you know, <laughs> let's tear principalities and powers down and all that kind of stuff. And then you see, man, they get massive pushback and you know from the enemy and and because they're not ready to be yeah. the army yet. Well, the, and, their, uh, their, so, their their character can't hold the power. That's correct. what I've heard. Yeah. Yep. So. Either that, or they just they leave themselves open to attacks in certain areas because they haven't prepared themselves. 
by mm. starting out as the family and then, mm. you know, being purified as the bride. And I go through those, those traits uh, yeah. that you were mentioning, you know, that those things prepare us to step into the army role. Um, mm. And, or a lot of people just go at it alone. They're the, you know, I, I hate the, the commercials by the U.S. Army, I don't know if they're even using them anymore, but like you're an army of one. No, you're not. Nobody's an army of yeah. one. You know, an army in its definition is a group of, a large group of soldiers working together, right? And and a lot of people just want to go do that thing by themselves and they end up getting shipwrecked because mm. of it they, or they get massive, you know, uh, counterattacks from the enemy and they don't know how to you know, how to recover from that. And so mm. that's why I believe these, these foundational identities, the family, the bride, the body, the temple, and the army, they're progressive in mm. nature. And as we learn how to function, not that we become perfect in any of them, but we learn how to function and we learn the reason we're supposed to be in those identities, what we're supposed to glean out of it, what we're supposed to grow in out of it. It prepares us to finally be the army, the end times army that the yeah. Lord is looking for. So... So Doug, real quick, the phrase came to my mind, family first. Um, yes. I don't know if that's the very first one in it your is. progression, but <laughs> it is. Yes. But I, I thought about the Lord's prayer, what we call the Lord's prayer or the Lord's model prayer, depending on the right. tradition you're from. And a lot of people say, well, it starts with worship. Well, I'd say yes and no. It mm-hmm. starts with family, our father. Our it father. starts with a familial relationship. And then yep. you get to all the other stuff, including warfare, I would say, is in there in a sense. And so, yeah, man, that, that really spoke to me. Just we start with family before we take up the the weapons there. Yes, absolutely. I mean, so much of our church culture these days has become transactional. Mm-hmm. Yes. Instead yes. of instead of relational. Mm. Right. So it's and it makes sense because God's. uh design for even you know the world in a sense uh, the full of people the nuclear relationship uh key important relationship is the family mm-hmm. right when the family falls apart the rest of the your community falls apart and that's what satan's attacking most in our culture is the family absolutely you know, genesis 1 and 2 we teach uh with our dmm stuff that the family is the first church in other words the father and the mother are with their children, that's the first church, and then you have the house church, or the other church would be the next expression, you right? Know, uh, of church, and uh, yeah, it it it's not it's not promoted very much. Um, I mean, I I remember even growing up in the, in the legacy church, it's like we parents formed out the the spiritual disciplines and the spiritual formation of their children to the church building, to Sunday school, to all this stuff instead of you know the family being first. So yeah, speak. absolutely. We have a, we have a crisis in in the Christian community today, for that very reason, within the family, but also in the church dynamic. Right when it's like parents not realizing it's their responsibility to disciple their children, not their youth pastors. You know, yeah. Yeah. and we can do good things with our youth in that type of environment. We can do good things with our children in the in a in a good church environment. Um, but the responsibility for discipling is with the parents. It's primarily and first. And if we're not yeah. getting, if we're not getting that right, and I think you know this is going to tread into some probably discipleship stuff that you guys are also uh, you know uh, on the same page about, is that um, 
you know, parents haven't been disciples, so therefore they don't know how to make disciples. Yes. It's, it's a yes. missing part of our culture as, as the church is that we don't know how to disciple people. We, we think as a culture, discipling happens when somebody sits in a pew on Sunday morning and listens to a sermon, but that's not discipleship. Hey, my unrefined friends. I just want to tell you guys that I am so thankful that you are my life. Some of our best fans uh, have been writing to us, and, and I, I just so encouraged about how lives are being transformed and people are getting something out of this podcast. I mean, that's what it's all about. That's why we're doing this, is to glorify Jesus and to just look at the world and have a, a more open view of the seen and the unseen and the supernatural in the world. So while we're doing that, we're going to handle all different kinds of topics. But see, what I'd like for you to be involved in or part of is our members only group things that are coming in our members only group that are going to just blow your mind not to mention there's gonna be episodes in there that you won't be able to hear just on the normal episode channel so make sure to visit our website at unrefinedpodcast.com and check out our members only community i just can't stress the fact that you know we're after building a community and there's there's so much out there you guys and there's so much coming i really believe we need to build these strong communities of christ followers to to be able to handle what might be coming in the in the future days we're sure that you'd be a good fit and we cannot wait i can't wait to see you there Well, and the biggest thing we've noticed, Lindsay and I, and, and we identify with you completely about the whole teacher thing, but what we've noticed with it is we put so much uh, preeminence, is if that's the word for it, or just emphasis maybe is a better word, so much emphasis on the teaching aspect and not the modeling right. aspect. And then what happens is a parent's not a good teacher. So, I mean, I encounter this in the homeschool movement. They're like, I can't homeschool. I'm not a good teacher. I'm like, no, it's not a matter of being a good teacher. It's a matter of being present. Because we've set up such a teaching culture in the church, at home, the parents feel deficient, so to speak, to be able to be the teacher to their children, when all right. they really need to do is, we do like a discovery type Bible studies and uh, stuff like that, and just be able to do a, a, a plan to let the Holy Spirit begin to raise their children up with their facilitation. Yeah. You know? So absolutely. I love that. Yeah. And agree. hundred percent. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, Lizzie, you have anything, a question or anything? Uh, well, man, I was going to ask him, um, the bronze serpent. I was going <laughs> to say analogy. It's not an analogy. It really happened. And it's something yeah. we repeat all the time, but the, the Nahushtan, I think it was called the bronze serpent. And just go over that kind of, analogy or, or pattern, if you could, how, how we do the same thing. Yeah. And I, again, I see this predominantly on the church level, um, but it happens individuals as well. Um, you know, is that we kind of have, you can even have these experiences, obviously, that, that are from God. Mm-hmm. I, you know, mm-hmm. he created the bronze serpent to deal with a real <laughs> deadly issue that was happening uh, with, the, with the children of Israel being bitten by the serpents and they raise it up. Um, God heals the people, right? And then we find out years, maybe even decades later, right? They still have the bronze serpent, and but now they're they're kind of worshiping it. They, you know, they've created an idol out of it. They're burning incense to it, 
Um, so something that God actually used in the lives of his people had now become an idol, right? And a lot mm. of times that happens to us, again, especially on the church culture where we, you know, we kind of idol, idolize movement. We can see a practical New Testament version of it, which I don't think I put in the book, but like when the transfiguration happens between Peter, James, and John, they're with Jesus on the mountain, Elijah and Moses show up. And the moment they get done with that experience, what does Peter say? Let's build some <laughs> tabernacles, some tabernacles essentially. here, yeah. basically. Yeah. You know, to commemorate this event. <laughs> yeah. And that's what we've kind of done as the church, where we've kind of said, you know, oh, God moved in this way. We're just going to keep worshiping the movement and kind of, you know, or divert our attention a little bit away from actually worshiping God and following God and his movement. We kind of get settled into these patterns, to these traditions to these ways of doing church where we've kind of set them up as an idol. And, and, and instead of moving God in the presence, which I always tell people this, I preach this sermon on occasion, God uses change to change us. And if mm. we're not willing to be changed um, and move with God in the changes, you know, we're going to find ourselves in these patterns where we're, we're idolizing what God has done in the mm. past instead of yeah. moving into what God is doing, the new thing that he wants to yeah. do. Yeah, and to be fair, that includes the the house church and disciple-making movement bronze serpents yes. that have been built as well. Absolutely. <laughs> but we can yes. build those there, too. Yes. Yep, we're not, we're not uh, immune. <laughs> no, not at all. Yeah, I mean, you see that in, in, in just, uh, I'll just use this for an example, revi revival movements through the years. It's like every revival movement will happen, and then it gets kind of, uh institutionalized that's yes yep. i guess and and then it persecutes the next revival movement which is bucking against the the aspect that they've worshiped the, they're starting to worship the movement yeah. or, or the yeah. beginner of the movement more than the the move of god itself and it's yep. where i came from was to first introduce to the charismatic movement was with the with the vineyard which came from calvary chapel and right. calvary chapel persecuted wimber and even then, Vineyard got kind of that way, and and it persecuted other movements that came, you know, after after the Vineyard. And uh, yeah, it, it's when we begin to worship the the leaders or the movement itself instead of the God of the movement, you know. And Amen. I think that I think that can happen just as easy with what I call I like to say organic type church. And uh, right. So, but let me ask you this, uh, Doug can. Tell us how this book has affected your spiritual journey. Did you go on a journey as you were writing this to, to how you do church, so to speak? I hate to use that expression, but how you, <laughs> the, the, because it's, it's the old way, but, but how we need a new scorecard. That's why I like about Reggie McNeil. You, you told, told me in the, you know, we were talking, yeah. uh, you know, transition from the old scorecard to the new scorecard. Uh, how did that change as you made this journey through this book? Well, yeah, I, I mentioned that into in basically in the introduction, right? So I had yeah. this revelation out of Proverbs twenty four twenty seven, and uh, and I was like, you know, I had kind of just been doing church, the you know, approaching church the same way my whole life. I mean, it changed obviously when I got saved, and you know, I started going to church and 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 trying to get as much out of it as I possibly could, and I wanted to be in a place where I knew I was going to be ex experiencing the presence of God and. Um, getting good teaching. And I, and I think that's a desire of every new believer, or at least hopefully should be, that they're, they're wanting to grow, they're wanting to mature, they're wanting to press into the destiny that God has on their life. And that was me as a young believer at the age of 17. Um, 
I switched churches. I started going to a, a charismatic full gospel church a town over. Worship was phenomenal. I had grown up liturgical, so I mean, it was it was hymn singing and uh, you know responsive readings and those type of things, and, and that just wasn't giving life to me when I yeah. when I got saved. And so I found this new church and I and I started going. Um, and I, and I was in that pattern for a while, um, you know, of kind of just approaching church. It's a little different when you're on staff at a church, right? So I several churches, obviously, later on in my life where I, I ended up being staff members. But I still mindset-wise, my approach was you go to church to get something, right? Mm-hmm. You go to church to have an experience. You go to church to, to come away with something. Um, and and I, when I first got saved, I spent a lot of time just digging into the Word. My, my very first spiritual father in my Methodist church kind of, you know, who was spirit-filled, ground me in that. And then my second spiritual father, who I did campus ministry with, he took it to a whole nother level. I mean, he was seminary trained, and he got into the Greek and the Hebrew. And and I was like, man, yes, I want to dig more into the Word. So as a very young believer, I'd, I'd sit in uh, my bed at night with a flashlight, highlight highlighters and pens, and I'd just go through the Scriptures. Mm-hmm. And something that stuck out to me, I'd write down or I'd highlight or I'd put some notes next to it or whatever. Well, I found mm-hmm. this one verse in Proverbs that said, uh, go make your work ready in the field and then afterwards build your house. And it made absolutely no sense to me. And I was like, well, what does that mean? I mean, that just, you know, doesn't make sense, right? You would go, you build a house first and then you'd, you'd work your field. I mean, practically speaking. Um, and so I just put question marks beside it. I highlighted, I come back to it every now and again, but never really got a revelation. And then one day, as I'm reading through 1 Corinthians chapter 3, several years later, I'm several years into this mm-hmm. process, um, I, uh, I run across the verse that says, you are God's field, God's building, in 1 Corinthians 3. And I thought, where have I heard building and field together in the same place? Aha, the Proverbs passage. And so I went back, I reread Proverbs, I went back to 1 Corinthians, read it in context, and I thought, oh my gosh. He's talking about us as a field and as a building. I said, there's a connection here. I'm gonna, so I got to figure it out. And, and in 1 Corinthians 3, he's talking about being a plant, growing up and, and, and maturing as a, as a plant. We're, we're going to grow. We're going to produce fruit. You know, and I'm like, oh, man, this is making so much sense. And I'm reading Psalm 1, and I'm just connecting the dots and all these things about that. And then later in 1 Peter 2, 5, it, it kind of defines the what it means to be a spiritual building, right? It says you are living stones being built into the spiritual house of God. And I thought, oh my gosh, we're both. We're the plant and the building, right? Mm-hmm. So I, I, I'm making those connections, but then I'm, I've, I've got to know why the field first, the plant and the field first, and why the building second, right? According to that Proverbs passage, make your work ready in the field first and then build your house. Finally, it takes me to 1 Kings 6, 7, which is the building of the temple. And it says, as they were building the temple, Solomon's temple, there was neither heard the sound of axe nor hammer uh, nor any iron tool on the building site. All the work was being done in the field, right? And I'm paraphrasing from this point forward, but it, he basically says they're bringing the finished work of the materials, raw materials become finished in the field, and they bring them to the temple site and they fit them together. Mm. And the Lord connected all those dots for me, and he says, you're God's field. Individually, you're a plant, and again, you're, or a tree, if you want to be the oaks of righteousness by the streams of water. But, um, but your, your goal, his goal in you is to grow you up and produce fruit. And that's individual. That's the individual work that the Holy Spirit's doing in our lives. 
through the word of God, through people that are discipling us, you know, you're, you know, you're growing, but you're also a living stone in his house, his spiritual house, and his desire is to fit you together. And so as I, as I got that revelation that the field has to happen first and then the building, I realized as a church culture, we've got it backwards. We go to church on Sunday mornings where we're supposed to be a living stone being fitted together, and we're asking the preacher to cultivate and to prune and to fertilize, and we want to be fed. We want to, we want to have growth and, and things happen in the church aspect, church, um, the place where we gather together when God's saying, no, I want that to happen in the field. And what does the field represent? Fields represents the other six days out of the week, right? Yeah where yeah. he wants to grow us, mature us, and actually give us something during the week so that when we come together on Sunday or whatever day of the week your church gathers, that we have something to give and not just get. And, and that's where I think church culture-wise, especially modern American church culture, we've missed it because we've trained generations of people to go to church to get instead of yeah. going to church ready to give. And this, and this delves into a bigger issue, which I don't go into hugely into the book, but I address it, which is the God designed the, the body as church, or excuse me, as, as body ministry, right? It's not just supposed to be one guy from the platform, right? We're, yeah. we're, we all have gifts. And if you go through 1 Corinthians 12 and 14, that is really evident that, you know, everybody is needed. Everybody needs to participate. The, the Bible even says we don't grow unless it's the proper working of each individual heart. Right. So that's where I've seen the shift where it's like, for me personally, I'm actually intentionally. Now, even if I'm not ministering on a Sunday morning, I'm asking the Lord before I get in my car to go to whatever gathering I'm going to. Is there something you want me to give to somebody Hmm. that my ears are open and my eyes are open to see what the Lord is doing with me as it relates to the gathering? Right. So yeah. it's, it's not just about me going to have an experience and come away with something. I believe that that'll happen anyway, because it says he gives seed to the sower, right? Um, he who waters will himself be watered, right? So, but in the process, it changed me into a person who wasn't just looking to go get something at a service or a gathering, but somebody who was intentionally looking to go and give right? Who's the person that needs a hug this morning? Who needs a word of encouragement? Who needs a scripture that I can ask the Lord if he'd lay something on my heart for somebody specific, right? Who needs to be prayed for? That I intentionally take my place, kind of like the Nehemiah stuff that I deal with, I'm going to take my place on the wall, right? It took all the families to go and do the work. And that's where we've got to get back to as a church culture is, is showing up, not just to come receive, not just to be a spectator, but intentionally preparing myself during the week, getting filled up enough in the word, in worship, in prayer to come and be able to give something when we gather together. And that's where he takes those living stones and he fits them together into the house of God to be the temple. Yes, yeah, it's, it's like we, we need to learn to love the one that's in front of us. And yeah, and and, and also, like you said, quit. Quit allowing the quote holy man to be do all the ministry work mm-hmm. because that that's so foreign to to what it says in in Ephesians about the the fivefold ministry and in yep. all, all those different different areas and the the biggest thing what I've learned just sitting here listening to you Doug is I know that when I teach 
I oftentimes get more out of it than the people I'm probably teaching. Right. And so if I go to, like Paul says, to give a word, to give a prophecy, to give whatever, I'm learning more by actually taking an active part of being self-giving to other people. Not to mention we're modeling the Trinity who is self-giving love. We're giving ourselves to other people instead of just being black holes and sucking it all in. Yeah, one of the things I hate the worst, man, at being a pastor, and I, I didn't tell you any my, my journey. I was a priest before I started doing house church stuff. So I went the other way. I went charismatic to liturgical. Anyway, it's a long story. But one of the things I hated to hear the most was, I don't get fed at this church. Mm-hmm. I mean, oh, oh my goodness. You know, it's like we've consumed the consumer culture of like, if I don't like Burger King, I'll go to Wendy's down the road. You know? Yeah. And, and I'll get I'll get it my way. And, right. Yep. And 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 that's not what Paul and you know that's why I think unity is so important even amongst the different churches that are not just house churches or organic forms but even amongst the ones that are still legacy or in, institutional is it's just that that nature there I mean uh, when I used to live in a town close to us uh, a, a couple got I don't like to use the word excommunicated but they got church discipline well they just went to the church down the street but we had a relationship with the church down the street and so the pastor was in a ministerial meeting. And so he's like, no, no, I don't, I don't want that. And so it, it was, it was inconvenient for this couple just to be able to just to relocate like you can in a lot of places in America. I'm using discipline for an example, but it, it that's in everything. That's that's even in positive things, you know. Yeah. Uh, we need that unity uh, that you talk about in the book. Which yeah, is awesome. absolutely. I mean, we're we're a part of the kingdom, and the kingdom trumps, you know, our if I can use this, you know, wording, our ministry empires, right? Um, Absolutely. You know, yep. we're we're kind of, and especially it's true here in the Bible Belt. You know, you see it, but you see it everywhere, right? Where churches, you know, they they build walls to keep their people in, um, mm. you know, and to keep others, you know, who they think might be the the poachers of their sheep, uh, you know, out. And and it's all about guarding, you know, my ministry, my vision, all that kind of stuff. And the reality is, no, it's 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 God's kingdom. And we're about in, in Matthew six thirty three says, seek ye first the kingdom of God and its righteousness. He'll add everything else, right? Uh, and kingdom means, yeah, it means unity. It means co-laboring together with other people. You know, when when his disciples came to Jesus and said, hey, we found these guys doing the stuff, but they're not with us. Stop them, Jesus. And he's like, nope, if they're not against me, they're with me, you know? And mm-hmm. we've, yeah. we've so drifted so far away from that where it's like, you know, oh, I disagree with you know, some insignificant doctrine that you have. uh, So Mm -hmm. we can't do ministry together. (laughs) Well, yeah. And just this sort of branding, this stay on brand here, we've got a brand and we need to stick to it. That's always kind of bothered me. Yeah. uh, I mean, you know, you were talking about the expressions of the church, right? The family, the local ecclesia, if if that, whether that's a house church or, you know, a, a, a larger church gathering that meets in a building. Right then, there's the city church, right? All the letters that were written uh, to the churches in the cities, you know, the church of Corinth, the church of Ephesus, and again in the Revelation, it talks about the seven different churches. You know, they were writing to whole communities of believers who probably weren't all meeting together, you know, in one location. They were right. in various house churches, but they were working together as the church of that city, you know. And 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 again, we've drifted so far away from what we see in the scriptures as the norms, right? This is how they did life together. This is how they did ministry together. Um, and, and we've gotten into these enclaves and camps and, 
you know, and denominations. And I'm not speaking ill of all denominations. I'm just saying God meant, like you mentioned, he meant for us to be more unified <laughs> and, and not divided, you know, and, but the, here we are today. Well, and, and something else I want to, I want to um, ask you a, a, your opinion on something, but, but I just want to make a comment first that, and two, we see this whole, this uh, uh, ethos that's permeated the church of being defenders. It's like we have to be the defenders of the faith or the defenders. And I think it comes from a, a, uh, a misuse of the, the con uh, or uh, non-contextualized use of the gates of hell will not prevail against the church. And I like yep. the army, the army concept you have is we should be on an offensive thing. We should be up against the gates of hell and we should be, that in other words, they're not going to prevail against us because we're beating up against them. We don't need to be in Helm's Deep, so to speak. Right. These Lord of the Rings thing. A we great reference, out, by the way. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> we need to be out of Helm's Deep uh, on the offensive, but yet we've 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 made it all about doctrines and teaching, and we get defensive about our little set of doctrines and teaching when we need to be out there actually fighting a spiritual war, which involves truth, but it's right. not just truth. And uh, he was. Truth and grace. Jesus was both, and and I think that's important. Now, the question I wanted to ask you about that is: is uh, do you see um, any sort of a, a over the whole of let's just say Western Church anywhere in the West? Do you see uh, this starting to change? Do you see the tides changing more towards a relational model or organic model of church? Yeah, absolutely. We we got connected with a a, a great um, ministry down in Atlanta called Revive the Way. Um, Raymond Steve Trainer, as well as other people in in leadership positions there. Um, I was introduced through a mutual friend. We were, we both did campus ministry uh, parallel to each other and and in close proximity to each other in the early '90s. And he said, "You need to meet uh, this friend of mine." And he had read my book, and he said, "You and her are hearing." Very similar things. She's she's apostolic and uh, phenomenal, just teacher, mm -hmm. woman of God. Uh, and uh, and he goes, so I want to introduce you guys. And he did. And we, that started a two-year kind of Zoom relationship. She would have these meetings and we'd be on. And, and we got connected that way. Eventually, uh, last year, went down to their, their yearly meeting in Atlanta. Um, and their main emphasis is two things, five-fold ministry and house churches. And it's mm -hmm. very much riding the wave that is happening in the church movement worldwide right now of the shift out of, you know, kind of this traditional, and I say traditional just in the, you know, the sense of covering all the bases of, you know, the, whether you're charismatic or evangelical or mainstream, um, but right. out of this kind of Sunday morning building centric, as I talked about before, transactional model into house churches, very much relational. And, and truth be told, the Lord was going to have to do this at some point because of the mass exodus from the institutional church. Yeah. You know, all the church hurts, all the, you know, messes and scandals and everything else that's caused multitudes of people to walk out of church and not to return. You know, God's still got to prepare a bride for himself that's without spot or wrinkle. Um, and I believe it's hard is to want to see those people get healed and restored into a relational model. And so we definitely have been seeing this shift take place. I'm at house church plants just all over the place. Uh, and again, mm. this is worldwide. It's not just the Western church. I'm at, uh, it's happening all yeah. over the place. 
Yeah. Well, I, I'm actually saying uh, and and Lindsay kind of by proxy because he works with us, but uh, we're, we're part of a missionary organization called Big Life, and they've been doing this overseas, CPM, DMM stuff for years and years. And uh, we're now the focus is the West. They're trying to re-Christianize the West with this type of stuff. But let me ask you, I want to ask you another question. We say a lot, uh, Lindsay and I both, that we think that unity in the church is not going to come from worship, and it's not going to come from doctrine, but it's going to come from mission. What do you think about that statement? Do you agree with that or disagree with that? Yeah, I think that I think that's the foundational aspect of it. Um, you know, spot on. I've got a really good friend that we we started out in uh, campus ministry together in the early '90s at Radford University. His name's J.R. Woodward. He's he's a he's oh, a yeah. Yeah, yeah JR is a pretty big guy in the missional community. And, yeah. um, you know, and, and so he's been real helpful for me to kind of um, pay attention to that paradigm shift, um, you know, of, of, you know, having, and it really just boils down to churches really understanding uh, from a foundational perspective, the, the missional call, right? I mean, I think, like you said, we've kind of hunkered down right into these uh, institutions and denominations and buildings, and and we've we've kind of taken on a defensive uh, position of you know we've got to defend the faith or defend our culture or defend you know our rights uh, to do certain things uh, as mm-hmm. opposed to getting out there in the highways and the byways and on the streets where Jesus did a majority of his ministry and miracles. Right, he was he was going into uncharted territory. He was going into or and he's called the church into right, uh, to, to go, right? If, if you yeah. look at the, the, the Great Commission and the call to discipleship, the active verb in that, in that um, verse is not go. Go was a given. It's Ooh. make disciples. Make disciples is the active verb, right? Ooh. So there was always the, the, the understood commission to go to Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the uttermost parts of the earth. Um, yeah. it, you know, it wasn't like, you know, we're going to be able to hunker down in Jerusalem and get this done, which is why persecution <laughs> hit the church and scattered the church, right? Uh, yeah. I mean, that was, God's, yeah. that was God's design of sending the first missionaries out, uh, you know? And, um, yeah. and we've got to get back to that, having that missional mindset of we've got a job to do on the earth, right? He's, we're supposed to go take territory. We're supposed to actually, like you said, you know, go encroach the gates of hell and not sit back and, and, and think, which we have culturally, you know, we'll just open our doors and hope that the community walks in. Gone are those days. Gone I mean, are those you days. Know, Amen. Brother. I mean, even, yeah. even, even here in the Bible belt, right? You yes, know, yes. our expectation is we're a church. People know where we are. That's not how it works anymore. Yeah. Churches oh, yeah. that have been around for a hundred or more years yeah. are closing down left yep. and right. I don't know if yeah. that's happening in Virginia, but I, I oh, see it, it here all the time. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, we're down here in the buckle of the Bible Belt. And, and it's, <laughs> it, I mean, there's a church on every corner, and I'm not knocking them because the pastors are doing the best they can with the paradigm they have, but they're dead. Yep. Yep. And what they want is they want revival. Well, my, my understanding is that revival is going gonna, is gonna to happen when we go. I mean, he, he told them to, to get the power in Jerusalem and then go. Yeah. And, and why is he going to give us power if we're going to stay? You know, I, I, I I never I haven't figured that out yet, and and maybe I won't. But uh, yeah, I just wanted to ask you about that question about mission because the group we're a part of, Big Life Missionaries, 
it's a it's a very eclectic group of of men and women. I mean, from we have from Dutch reform to vineyard people. So that ought to let you know. But yeah. it's it's a, it's amazing because we're we're in unity because we have a common goal to make disciples that make disciples. And and we we have simplified it down to the organic virus aspect of it. So what is this gospel? What is this we want to transmit simply to other people where it will spread and it works. And we sit around and joke about our doctrinal differences and stuff, but it's just really been amazing being a part of a, a group that didn't come first. That was not your identity. Our identity was disciples doing yeah. the stuff and obeying the stuff. You know. Yeah. Amen. So, I mean, I, I didn't mention this as a as another another descriptive, but when I was talking about you know kingdom comes yeah. first in our relations with one one with another, regardless of where we are in our our you know our affiliation. Um, yeah. You know, I I talk about how cause. Trump's vision, right? I mean, yeah. the cause, the cause of the kingdom, the cause of Christ is is the highest priority. And if there's an opportunity to partner with somebody in that, regardless of how our doctrines align, you know, uh, you know, we we have to take that seriously. We have to say, you know, yeah, it may not be my ministry vision, but there's something that's higher than my ministry vision, and that's yeah. the great commission and the great commandment. And I'm called to do that with whosoever. The Lord brings across my path, um, and you know it's you know it's kind of like why did God send the most qualified Jew to the Gentiles, and why did He send the most offensive Jew to the Jews, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. You know because <laughs> because He knew that people needed to get beyond the messenger to the message, right? That's really and, that's and good stuff, we can man. we can look across the aisle and say, oh that guy, you know I can't, I can't work with him, you know, uh, but. Yeah, you can. I mean, if the Holy Spirit's in it, uh, you know, if God's doing anything, it may be so that you don't depend on your own strength and you're trusting in the Lord, you know, and you're able to receive from another person who, and the, on the outside and the religious part of it, you, would, you might be offended, but you get past the offense because I believe firmly that God puts treasures in people who are offensive to us so that we can get past the offense and we can get to the treasure. But we have to yeah. get past the offense in order to get it. Yeah. Well, I like how you talk about the book, how even your like biological or, or blood family, y'all are all different, but yet you are the family of God. I really love that part where you were talking about that, how, you know, despite your differences, you all still see each other as family there. Yeah. I mean, you'd, be, you'd be surprised biological families that fight over religion. Ooh. Yep. Every Thanksgiving. And, <laughs> yeah. And that in politics. But anyway, so. Right. Uh, well, let me let me ask you. So we need to probably land this plane. I'm your okay. busy man, and but uh, this is our our question that we ask most of our guests, and we want to ask you if you if you will, can you tell us what you think? If it's if it's not too private, um, you can give us a second one if it's too private. But what is the most supernatural experience that you ever had since you've been saved? Man, I, I was I've been br- racking my brain uh, yeah, ever since you told me that that was, <laughs> you were going to ask it at the end of the show, and and I've got a lot. I mean, uh, probably that I could share, but I purposely left this out of the of the story at the beginning. I told you about how I met my wife, uh, and right. I'll say this one. This one I, I think for sure uh, is probably it takes the top spot no matter what, um, and that is when I met my wife. I had only known her for three days. Right. So we just kept running into each other over and over again at these different things that were happening. The concert my band did uh, opening up for two major Christian acts. 
Um, the next day we played at her church, which was a heavy metal church in Southern California. Wow. Um, I don't know if you've ever heard of Bob Beeman, but he's awesome. He's yeah, like, I've heard of him. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Out of Nashville. He was, he was her pastor. Um, you know, they called it the rock and roll refuge, uh, sanctuary. And, um, but anyway, so we played at their church. We went to, we went to after church fellowship. We went to a, a, her Bible study that night that she was doing. And then the next day, her and her friends met us in the airport. It was back when you could still go to the gate uh, and hang out with people. And uh, so they threw us a picnic lunch. We had a two-hour layover between Orange County and LAX before we flew back to Virginia. And so they brought a blanket. They brought KFC. We're all hanging out. We're chatting. We're having fun. And her and I kind of got, you know, kind of off to ourselves. And But she was a month old in the Lord, and she was like a sponge. She just wanted to know everything about Jesus, everything about the Bible. You know, she she had come out of this heavy partying lifestyle and just was sold out, absolutely sold out. Her friends were still kind of struggling a little bit in that area. So she just kind of wanted to get me by myself and be like, what does the Bible say about this? And what, you know, what do you, what is this about Jesus that I should know? And, you know, it made me feel really smart. I was only five years old in the Lord at the time, but, you know, made me feel like I knew my Bible, made me feel like, you know, I was spiritually, you know, uh, mm-hmm. you know, a, a, a giant and uh and in the midst of that, we're hanging out by ourselves. I hear the audible voice of God. First oh, wow. and only time in my life mm. up to this point. But it was like he bent down, whispered in the ear that wasn't next to her and said, this is your wife. Ask her to marry you. Now, when I first heard that, I, I literally <laughs> thought that it was one of my band members playing a prank on me. So I look up, there's nobody there. I look to the other side, there's nobody there. And I realize you just heard the Lord's voice. And uh, wow. so I did, what, I did what any obedient Christian would do, and I chickened out. Um, <laughs> so I, I love it. I, uh, I, yeah, I'm, and I'm in my head, I'm having this argument with the Lord. I said, I am not going to let you embarrass me here in this airport. Uh, I've only known her for three days. It's the worst pickup line in the church, God told me, right? Um, and, uh, and I said, so I, you know, I, I know that was you, I, I'm not dumb and I'm not, and I'm not trying to be rebellious. I just said, I, I can't do it. And so I got her phone number and I called uh, her after I got back home. I said, Hey, there's something I need to tell you, you know, give me your number. This is before emails, before text message, any of that kind of stuff. Uh, 1993 or 90, 91, sorry. And uh, I go back home and I call her because I figure after I tell her this, if she just starts laughing, I just hang up. I say face. We're 3,000 miles away, right? She's in California. I'm in Virginia. Uh, So I said, I know this is going to sound crazy, uh, but this is what I heard from the Lord. What do you think? And she says, sure. And uh, she said the words just flew out of her mouth. She didn't even process it. So we hang up and she says to herself, I think I just got engaged to a guy I don't even know. Um, so she goes to her mom who's been a believer for 10 years trying to drag her chase her into church you know she finally gets saved and she goes to her mom and she says mom i met this guy he looks like all the other guys i've ever brought home uh you know lead singer of this band she mentioned she didn't mention christian at all she just threw this out there to her mom says all those guys you shot down he looks exactly like him i've only known him for three days he asked me to marry him and i said yes what do you think and her mom just right away goes, he's the one. And oh, uh, wow. she goes, how do you know? You haven't met him. He looks like all the others. And she said, her mom said, Monica, I've been praying for him for 10 years. You don't think I'd know when he came along? He's the one. Mm-hmm. And, that, and this year we celebrated 30 years of marriage. So wow. I, for me, that's the most supernatural thing 
that's happened in my life. And I've had a lot of great supernatural encounters with God. Um, but you know, hearing his audible voice for me takes the cake. <laughs> yeah, that's awesome. Well, let me ask you, I, I want you to, to, to pray for us and for our audience in, in a second, but one, one more thing I'd like to, if, if you had like, um, a, a microphone that you could tell everybody uh, in the West why you do organic church in a few sentences. What would you say? Um, I'd say, you know, family and relationship is the foundational thing um, that the Lord desires us to walk in. Um, you know, he is our father. We are his kids. And, um, and that means we're brothers and sisters. Um, and, and so I, I feel like, you know, we struggle to, to make that reality happen on Sundays in a building. Um, You know, we come in, we come out, some people go in and nobody ever knows that they're there. They sit in the back pew and they're out and they, you know, they think they've kind of done the, you know, time card punch. You know, I've done my religious duty for the week, um, you know, but there's no connection. There's no relationship and discipleship's built on relationship. It's, It's not meant to be this inorganic uh, you know, classroom setting thing where you just learn stuff. It's really about being trained and being taught, you know, kind of the apprentice model that Paul had with Timothy, that Elijah had with Elisha, that Moses had with Joshua, that we see that model in the scripture, yet we don't really do that within the Western church. And so I, I'd say, you know, organic church is a necessity for spiritual growth. God designed us in such a way that we're interdependent on one another. We can only mature, spiritually speaking, to the degree that we're connected with and we are giving and taking from one another because that's the way God has designed it. That's awesome. Yeah, that's, that's, that's mm. awesome. Well, Doug, uh, will you pray for us and, and pray for the audience, uh, if you don't mind? Not at all. Father, we thank you, God, for, for who you are to us. Lord, as a father who wanted to be intimately related with us, Lord, we know the Pharisees missed it, God. They they fell into the, the rut of religion, Lord God, and they missed out on relationship, even when the Messiah was standing in front of them, mm-hmm. uh, even when you designed for them, Lord, as you talked about in Luke chapter 7, um, that it was your purpose for them to be baptized by John the Baptist, and they rejected your purpose, God. You wanted them to participate in the ministry of Jesus, not to oppose it. God, but you designed it for relationship, Lord, and so quickly, even as a, as a Western church, Father, we've settled for religion. Lord, instead of relationally with you and relationally with each other. And God, I ask that you would move the hearts of your people to understand um, that organic is, is the way to go, Lord. Um, that you would uh, show them your divine design, Lord, uh, for how we interact with one another, how we encourage one another, Lord God, how we spur one another on to love and good deeds, Lord, as your church, Father, as your body being connected to one another. Lord, that we would realize that gathering around a table for a meal, it may be one of the most spiritual things we do in the week, Lord God, as we do it with each other. God, breaking bread, going from house to house. Lord, you modeled it, Lord. So help us to get back to your design, Father. I pray that um, they won't just hear these pleas, Lord God, Father, but they'll dig into the truth of your word to see how you set it all up, Lord God how you purposed it to function, Lord God, how you caused it and, and cause it, Lord God, to produce fruit in our lives and in our communities, Lord God, in our tribes, 
Lord God, in our families, our church families, Lord, that we would see it. We would get back to the organic nature, Lord God. And Lord, help us, um, God, to fulfill the great commission of making disciples, Lord. Again, not by not by teaching them a, a, a doctrine, Lord God, or a Bible study, Father, but really helping them to grow. Everybody loves to quote, go and make disciples, but everybody stops and they don't continue on to teaching them to obey all that I've commanded. Lord, let us take that command seriously, Lord God, that we would make disciples, Lord, that we would love each other unconditionally, Lord, sacrificially, selflessly, Lord God, to the point that the world gets jealous, Lord God, and the Jews in specific would get jealous of the relationship that we have with you. Father, and we just thank you for this time. I thank you for these, my brothers here. God, I ask you to bless their ministry as they continue, Lord God, uh, to spread these important truths, Lord God, as they continue, uh, Father, to, to reach out with this important message, Lord God, that the church needs to hear in this hour. God, we want to be a part of your next, this next shift, this next movement, God. Uh, Father, we, we want, don't want, like Moses, we don't want to go up without you, Lord God, and do stuff without you, Lord. We want to partner with you. We want to be yoked with you, Jesus. Um, like you said, you can only do what you see the Father doing and say what you hear the Father speaking. That's what we want to be, Lord God. And so, Father, uh, I bless my brothers, Lord God. I bless um, their reach, Lord, that you would expand their tent pegs, Lord God. Um, and, and Father, that you would bless what they're doing as they partner with you in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 All right, Doug. So, yeah, thanks a lot. Uh, So, how can they reach you? If if somebody, uh, one of our listeners, uh, wants to reach out to you, how can they get a hold of you? That is a very good question. (laughs) It is five foundations, the number five. Yeah, the the number number five. five. And then foundationsbook at gmail.com. They can find you on Facebook too, I guess. If they yes, I'm on Facebook. I actually have a a pastor uh, profile, Pastor Doug Levy. Um, yeah, or cool. and um, that's because I've run out of friends uh, <laughs> on my Facebook, and I've I've got like 250 requested people that I can't approve because I've, I've you know they limit you to 5,000 people at, on Facebook. So I do have yeah. a pastor a pastor profile there too. Cool. All right. Well, thank you so much, Doug. We appreciate having you on, and I, I, I'm just yeah I'm still excited about what you <laughs> what you shared today. So. Thank you Thank you guys. I appreciate it. Looking forward to doing kingdom stuff with you all. Yeah, thanks, Doug. Blessings. Thanks for listening and supporting us. And remember, stay naturally supernatural.